Welcome to D&D and D, the Dinner Party Role Playing Podcast. I'm your host and Dungeon Master James Russell. With me today are the fun people. Say hi, fun people. Hi. Hello. We are back for part two of our end of season, season five discussion. Uh, you guys sent in a bunch of really great questions and uh, we didn't get to many of them. Russell was like, guys, we didn't talk about the season at all. <laughs> we have to do it again. <laughs> Uh, we, we did more than, than it seemed when we were, when we finished it, which we, 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 we talked about that in the discussion about how, what, how we always finish and are like, oh, that's not what we thought it was going to be, but then it's fine. Um, and that's exactly what happened. We did talk a little bit about the season, but we did not talk much about the season and you guys did have some questions. So we will get back, uh, we will get into that and we'll, um, answer some of those uh we'll talk a little bit more about uh the show and stuff and um and then yeah and then uh just looking ahead at the schedule um next week will probably be a tim story and then um and then potentially uh a couple of those and then we'll it will probably it will be february in the month of february before we get into season six proper um, and we had mentioned last time that we'll do like uh, like a session zero kind of character based discussion, um, internal discussion episode uh, before we start the series, the season proper um, to update, you know, character sheets and get everybody kind of ready to play again as we head into the new series. I saw I, I'm not, I'm, you know, no spoilers, obviously, but I thought of something last night. Uh, that I'm very, very excited about. I was telling Erica about it this morning at breakfast, and it is. Uh, I, I was very, very pleased with myself for this idea, and I'm excited to. And it's going to be like right at the beginning, so I'm I'm pumped to <laughs> cool. for you guys to experience that. Let's just get into questions uh, right away, since we we did the preamble and shit last time. No, no more Baldur's Gate talk this time. <laughs> Um, unless, unless you guys started playing, but I don't think you did. So, no. um, I did, I do have something to contribute about Boulder's oh, Gate you? real quick. It was a really funny Reddit post about a girl who took a video of her boyfriend, uh, creating a character and it, then she like turned the camera towards herself and it looks exactly like her, but <laughs> apparently that character ends up turning in, Never mind spoilers, but it, it, I like, think I know it, what you're going to say. Yeah. Apparently it's going to be really funny later yes. on so uh i laughed yes. at the at the not knowing because i didn't know and i guess he obviously he didn't know but she knew <laughs> that's so, very that is very funny so don't make characters that look like <laughs> people you know are significant others because <laughs> things can happen i want to know but i'm gonna play the game so i don't want to know uh wait till it goes on sale I had a friend last night be like, hey, will you play the game with me? And I was like, yes. And they were like, okay, well, I already played the game as a good person. So if you play it with me, we have to do an evil run. No, don't do that. You're okay. bad at being bad. Unless you want to. I, if I'm going to do an evil run, I have to do it first. Because apparently if you do a good run, you make friends with everybody. And so you don't want to do the evil run because you do bad stuff to them in the evil <laughs> run. That makes sense. It, yeah. There's so, you can do some truly despicable shit. The, I don't know like if I would be able to portal hand do. and you can cut it off instead of grabbing it. We're talking yeah. about Baldur's Gate again, damn it. Ah. <laughs> anyway, it questions. Happened. Back, it back happened. to... Ugh. Um, no, we're gonna... All right, let's 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 do a uh, question. So this is from Matt Reese. Matt says, uh, I have two questions. One for you, Gressel, and one for the players. Mostly for James and Chelsea. First question... When did the idea occur to have spaghetti clowns as the emissaries for Digidon? Was it during the first creation of it at the beginning of this season or during it? Second question. If Jason, Freddy, Michael, Leatherface, Chucky, and Leprechaun, and Art the Clown, and Valak Demon Run, Valak the Demon, none, were sent to a D&D world, what classes would they be? Well, that, was, that seems pretty clear. Some are magic and some are not. I mean, obviously, Valak's a paladin. Yeah. Yes. Or uh, is Leprechaun or a sorcerer? Cleric. Yeah, or cleric. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Leprechaun would be a wizard or a sorcerer. I mean, Leprechaun would just be a warlock, I think. Oh. Chucky would be a warlock. Chucky oh, has a yeah. patron. He wouldn't be a like a an assassin, like a like a rogue. No, um, Chucky, Chucky has a 
Yeah, Chucky has a patron. Ch- Chucky is a is a warlock if ever there if ever oh, there yeah. was one. Gambala. Gambala. Freddy Jason, and what's I the need tank? to like look up oh. the D and D classes. Yeah. Yeah. Barbarian, one of them. What's that? Yeah, I think Jason, Michael, and Leatherface are kind of all flavors of barbarian. Yeah, they're all like, just they're, big guys. I think um, Michael, though, Michael Myers subclass into monk because he doesn't really speak. So that's true. He's very like. Leatherface could be surprised druid. I could see Leatherface <laughs> could as a see druid. Sure, He's got yeah. kind of a connection to nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, were there fun. others? Art the Clown? Art the Clown. I mean, he's a bard. Bard, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, the spaghetti clowns. Uh, when when did that come up? That was uh, that was not a, that was not a, uh, initially part of the the spaghetti clown lore when spaghetti clown first came about. Um, but I forget why. But when we were getting close to those sessions, when we were getting when we were like doing the like James Bond snow sequence uh and we were getting close to the the cave and i knew that we were going to get into the cave i was kind of and and uh flack was currently the spaghetti clown um i was like okay we got to do something with this um and i somehow it came up like what is the origin of spaghetti clown or like why is spaghetti clown even a thing like why are these th- there are these posters in general um and I was reading about sp- the origins of the spaghetti clown. Um, In real and, life. Yeah. And I forget exactly um, the the terms for it because it's, you know, it's Italian. Um, but that character is from like old Italian Oh, yeah. It'd be like a Perel clown, I think. Yeah. I forget exactly. I forget what it's called. Yeah. There's like funny. a few stock um, types of clowns from like old Italian like theater and like uh like i think there's some crossover with crying Gognol theater which is kind of like um how would you just describe grand Gognol, james because that's kind of like a horror thing also yeah that's like live performances that relish in the shocking and graphic on on stage uh big horror predecessor uh theatrical right yeah it's French. Because um, you'd have like, you'd have the Piro clown. You would have the, uh, like a Harlequin. And uh, like, I mean, that's like Punch and Judy kind of mm-hmm. come from that too. It's like, it's character archetypes. And the Piro clown was always, I think, like the sad clown. Like kind yeah. of more like melancholy. It's David Bowie and Ashes to Ashes. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yes, there there were all these like theater origins of the clown, which is cool for Flack being a bard and everything too. There was this idea of the clown, these like, yeah, like very archetypal, they represent these broad swaths of of types of characters and things. So that's that's why I thought it would be kind of fun to use them as these like stock nameless entities you know within this world of where like you know you you know spirits kind of lose their individuality and whatever so that was that was kind of the the decision behind that behind making them uh part of like the digitron world um and i also you know the noodles thing kind of got me thinking of like oh yeah if we have these if if the aurora are kind of pathways or or rivers or you know roads however you want to look at it you know if you just put a roof on those they become tubes and spaghetti and you know noodles and tubes and it it, all the jokes that we made when we were in it um it's 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 not the the bet you know the clearest uh connection but the but the bigger thing is the yeah that kind of theater origin of of them being these like every man stock representations for um you know, just types of, of people. Um, thanks Matt. Um, and I'm glad that we were able to decide that, uh, Leatherface could have some bard elements (laughs) or no druid druid elements. Right. Leatherface is not a bard. No, No. that'd be adorable (laughs) though. Beautiful singing voice. That'd be so cute. 
<laughs> like social skills and charisma. Aw, <laughs> it'd be so sweet. Chop <laughs> uh, Top would be a bard. Music Chop is Top his would life. Be a bard. There you go. Yeah, music is his life. I mean, that's like the bard mantra. <laughs> okay, I am going to um, tweak a question of Lindsay Newton's. Uh, so Lindsay asked if you could make any dice roll fail instead of succeed or vice versa, what would it be? And I think that she's asking for like a specific role, which is mm -hmm. a little bit too like specific, specific of a question because any one role, you know, could obviously have a lot of ripple effects and everything, but I'm going to tweak that question because I think it, it would be an interesting discussion to say, uh, if you could have any role always fail or always succeed which role would you would you want to always work or not work obviously you know always not working is a different thing but like but it'd be fun if something always failed or intimidate you would always want fail. intimidation to succeed to fail. no to fail yeah. oh. <laughs> I'm, why i'm just bad at intimidating <laughs> like just in in real life and i i don't even think i could do it in a in a role play situation like you're six three yeah yeah Not but for right. whatever reason like i i go to our local grocery store and the i'm like i just need salmon right i just need fish and the guy's like hey how's your day going and i'm like all right it's going all right how about you and he just goes i i gotta i gotta find a better lawyer and then I'm like, what? this is a true story. What's going like, oh, I'm sorry. He's like, yeah, I just can't. You just don't know. You just don't know who you can trust nowadays. Fish, the fishmonger at Ralph's. And I was like, sir, I just to talk to. I just want salmon. So I. How does this play into you being intimidating? Like you were too open of a person. Oh, no, yeah. He could talk to he just you. People think they can open up to you. I've experienced that before <laughs> where people. Like strangers, there's something, there's sometimes a quality someone has where people, I don't know what it is. It's like this totally intangible thing, but where mm -hmm. people yeah. instantly are like, I can tell you stuff. And sure, like, but I'm, I'm considering intimidation as something that you are <clears throat> willfully trying to do, not as just a natural passive quality. Like, nah, he's so, just not naturally intimidating. Yeah, you might not be naturally intimidating, but Mike, I bet you could be intimidating if you, you wanted could turn to. It on. If, if you were rolling for it, I bet you could be intimidating. Mm. Maybe. Maybe not. You're so cuddly. See, that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly. But you I just, know you. If someone yeah. didn't know you, you got a True. deep voice, dude. You could be like, yeah. Go, what, what are you trying to do? If you yelled, I bet you yell. Mike doesn't yell often, but I feel like I've maybe no, heard don't. it once or twice and it's fucking scary. Yeah. If I, if I, I don't want to get mad. You wouldn't like me when I'm mad. <laughs> I don't even know what I would do. So yeah, true. All right, fine. I tell him all the time to get mad. I tell him, Mike, I want to be kind of scared of you. <laughs> I feel like you want to save your husband. I feel like it would happen easy. It could it could be like a ooh. And part of it is because it's unexpected. Yeah, it's mm. thrilling. Can you imagine? <laughs> Ma I know. Mike's, Mike's Our husbands power. are Mike's not very scary, Beth. I could be scary. Get fucked, James. Get roped in with oh, me. Wait, what, Beth? <laughs> I'm more afraid of Janice. <laughs> Why? Uh, I don't know you as well. That's, yeah. <laughs> as my husband. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Do you scare James and Mike? James I have felt like I've disappointed James, and that's worse. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that is worse. About not drinking anymore at New Year's party five that years was, ago? That does come. That is the first thing that comes to mind. Really? <laughs> I forgave you for it. It was five yes. years to the day that I forgave you for it. I did lie to James's face. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I held dang. on to it for five years. <laughs> you know, I will never forget that. <laughs> Said he was drinking water, and then I, I took the not. cup out of his hand, and it was not water. Oh, dang! <laughs> I was also very drunk at the time, so in in fairness, fair, but fair, fair. Nonetheless, uh, roles to always succeed or fail. Um, what does it mean that I'm I'm like more I'm more interested in picking one that always fails than succeeds? Because that is the more fun option. Yeah, it is. Like yeah. character wise, Marjorie's really bad at invest not investigation, but um perception, perception. roles. 
And so just the ongoing bit of I always try to roll for perception and I always see that there's a floor under my feet Mm -hmm. could be funny. But is it interesting? Yeah, I I think perception is what I would pick to always succeed because sometimes you just want to know what you're looking at. I mean, it's true. I would I would probably pick the <clears throat> the wild magic rolls to always fail. I was thinking that <laughs> my fingers are always crossed when it happens to play. <laughs> <laughs> then I never use magic. Are you happy? <laughs> oh my god! There that yeah that would probably be the one that would that would wreak the most chaos or like charisma any charisma rolls yeah could be fun either way. Um. But yeah, uh, I'm boring. I really do like the the random up and down of if something is going to succeed or fail, except for when I'm trying to hit a guy. Mm-hmm. So my choice is I always roll a, a 20 <laughs> <laughs> to hit. <laughs> that is. Yeah. I mean, it it is harder to craft moments where combat roles are like. I mean, they have to be like do or die, like, mm-hmm. you know moments that those don't come around as often in just like regular combat encounters but yeah yeah i i I agree i think that wild magic would be super fun to fail obviously combat to succeed charisma rolls i think would be fun either way like you're either the most you can always persuade people or you can't persuade shit like mike was saying like you can't intimidate shit like if you always were trying to like puff out your chest and everyone's like oh little guy (laughs) Thank you, Lindsay. Uh, Lindsay also asked, um, are there any items or abilities that you wish you would use more? We kind of talked about this a little bit last time with like some of your favorite items. Yeah. But is there like abilities that you guys wish to that you used more? All that stupid stuff that you get when you're a magic user that I forget exists, such as twin spell or. Oh, yeah. Um, I can't even remember the, the other one. All the shit called. I forget. Yeah. <laughs> It kind of oh, made yes. it easier for me when I died and took away everything I had on me. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm a magic... I hate... I'm so sorry. I'm a magic user in Baldur's Gate. And... <laughs> but the thing is, it's like, it'll automatically do... So if I'm like, oh, a twin spell, it does all that shit for me. And it, and it keeps track of all of my... Spells. Sorcery you know, points. It's like, and, yeah, yeah. So I think that's the stuff that I would like to try to use more often i'm sure people are always screaming at me to use them it has gotten easier with the D beyond i think that you know at least you you know there's like that does help buttons to check for yeah um spell slots and shit yeah um oh you know what's a spell that i wish i would use more often I, like a specific spell is i have one that like imbues uh the thing is is i have to think ahead to use this which is a problem and Mm because i don't it's like imbuing one of you guys with like the power of i think it's like eagle or bear there's oh enhanceability yeah Yeah, where it basically gives you like a a little extra oomph but to your early role. on didn't you give power of a bear to someone to carry a, someone back to town yeah, or something, something yeah. like that, but I never yeah. use it and I don't even know if it's worth if we're past it now like if it's kind of at this point the stuff that we're doing it like wouldn't even make that much of a difference but I don't well, know I, I got into a much better habit of using bardic inspiration after Beth always yelled at me about it so <laughs> or, not, or didn't it's yell true. but you know made me feel bad with judgmental sides and then yeah. I got better at it. And that's friendship. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Beth. <laughs> uh, yeah, buffs are definitely, I think buffs would be in that category. Because I think you're right, Just like the nature of the show is how in the moment I think we are. So there isn't a lot of like, all right, we're 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 preparing for this obvious fighting situation. Let's buff everything. And that kind of goes to what we were talking about a little bit last time about like it, playing uh, a home game versus the show with like exploring rooms and looking for treasure and stuff like that's kind of a little bit it can be shoe leathery if it's not situational specific where like all right we're gonna everybody cast your buffs everybody do your sh- you know like pre- prep for the fight um so that some of that can be a little bit just the nature of the way that the show is but um situationally I think there there could still be opportunities for buffs um, as we're going forward because, you know, like a plus four or yeah, like Bardic Inspiration, like you were saying, James, like you get an extra 
dice roll, that can be the difference between, you know, success and failure in a big moment. So that's definitely something to um, keep uh, in the back of your head. Um, bah, 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 bah. I am so I regret. I regret having never really utilized in a story uh, satisfying way the spear of teenage rebellion that I have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Seasons ago, Marjorie like, Season was three, like, I, I want to be, I, I don't want to be old, I want to be young. And so I bought this Britannia spear. It's a pink gold spear created by the goddess of teenage rebellion. Because I thought it would come, I would be able to like use it or whatever. And you can't use it unless you're young. There's Wait, a I, weird mm-hmm. element of it. So it's, I oh, want yeah, that it's it can only be wielded by those between the ages of 13 and 19. So How does bitter. that work if I'm an elf? It would, it would work. Yeah, yeah it would Do be you like adjust mentally. for inflation? Yeah. Like how does right. <laughs> yeah, so I, I bitterly bought that, not, not being able to use it, hoping that at some point I could kind of fold that into the story, and I never did, and it remains on, it remains a Schrodinger's spear on the wall. No, not Schrodinger. What's um, the gun? Chekhov. A Chekhov, a Chekhov spear on the wall. And I don't think I'll ever, I don't, it won't, I don't, I don't. Well, I hope that, uh, that, um, oh no. What's the, what, James, your girlfriend? Carebert. Carebert. I hope Carebert didn't find it and accidentally use it on herself. And now she's. Carebert's not a teenager. Yeah. Carebert's an adult woman. Okay. Yeah, it's just a stick to her. Well, good. <laughs> I want to use that then. I want to like have another. Well, yeah, I like would love that. to just be at the house and I walk past your bedroom door and you're just fucking around with my spear. Oh, yeah, Star I'm like, I'm like Star Wars <laughs> kid. <laughs> it's got acid damage. It's like in Napoleon Dynamite when Kip walks past Napoleon's room and he's like learning how to dance to a tape. <laughs> That'll be me with the spear. I'm watching like a VHS of like how to do like spear tricks, not even a fight, but just how to twirl it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I I always have thought it was funny with that item that it was clearly intended for Zappas and Martrim took it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I think that's so good. Uh, Shane McCarthy asks, uh, how would the bargaining stage of Digidon have gone if Zabbis had kept the mask or if one of the others had been wearing it? Would Marjorie still have been the one to go through depression? We touched on uh, what led to the whole uh, Marjoradon thing a little bit last time. Um, and I do think that Marjorie still would have been the one to go through depression, even, even though um, if Marjorie hadn't have been wearing the mask, Beth and I probably wouldn't have had that conversation that led to that realization, and Beth wouldn't have been Marjordan. We wouldn't have had that kind of dynamic. I would have been playing, you know, the whole thing. But I, I do think that it still would have eventually got there. I don't think if Zabbis had still been wearing the the mask, I don't think it would have played out the same way, where it's not that Zabbis would have been like Zabadon. That's um, a good name. It is a good name. Though. That was name. <laughs> yeah. Like Mastodon. Um, that's when Zabadon. I fully ascend. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, Too much it, it power. Is, it would be like the natural progression of the outfit. <laughs> yeah. Zabbis actually becomes a dragon. Through Zabbis, he would have wielded a power too terrible to imagine or whatever the line is from Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> the wild magic. As possessed uh, by the god of death. Right. Uh, but uh, character-wise, you know, the Zabbos doesn't have the same kind of, like, connection to the dragons that, that Marjorie does. It would have been, you know, we might have gone in a different direction. Probably risk and reward might have been bigger factors. We might have gone more that way and away from the uh, the full dragoniness of it. Um, but I do think that as far as like the stages of death, uh, the stages of grief that we would that we were dealing with, I, that Mar- Marjorie was depression that that just felt the the most appropriate for the character. And I want to believe that I, I, I would have gotten to that realization um, on my own as well, although it was much more fun uh, to do it with Beth. <laughs> uh, so thank you, 
Shane for that question. Uh, Amelia Fowler asked, um, uh, is the group ever going to go to the Shadowfell? We briefly dipped into the Shadowfell in season four in the elevator episode. Um, or oh, it was more of an inclined plane. Yes, oh inclined plane. Yeah. But uh, will we going forward? Uh, very likely. I, I'm, you know, no spoilers, nothing set in stone, obviously. Um, but given the na- given where the story is at, I feel like that is part of the story and there will be a segment of it that will take place in this different world um, that is being established uh, and filled out, fleshed out in the Tim stories. So if you want to hear more about what my version of the Shadowfell is, uh, you can go and check those out um, for, uh, for some more shade on that world. Uh, it's not good, and it's not good for humans. Um, it was really scary not. when we went there. Yeah. Good thing none of us are. Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. But yeah. Tim is. F- oh. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, John Smith asks, uh, my question is for season five is how did no one know that Cedric was the professor? I figured it out when Dormac said that the drunk dwarf was Cedric's BFF and because of the flask description. At first I was kind of bummed that the season plot test was that easy, but Didridon caught me off guard. Uh, and then- I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. And then when it was revealed, I was like, it, it just, it felt so obvious when it was revealed too. And I thought, oh, oh, I, I really felt dumb. I felt dumb. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I think people forget is how long it is between recording sessions. Yes. So if you're listening to each episode, like as they come out or back to back, you're retaining so much more stuff than we do. Yeah, because what do we normally record two or three episodes at once? At least two. Yeah. We try to do three the goal is three or four and we and the minimum is two so a lot of times it's at least a month in between just ah, because dude. of you know everybody's schedule you know and so um yeah small details like that which are you know i put those details in more for you the listener than than for you the player um because of that reason you know those are small details that i have included so that the listener can clock them and go oh that's this thing that i just recently heard um but for you guys the players um it's there if you pick up on it but it's not essential necessarily that you do i had a magnifying glass up to the conversation between the brother and sister cedric and uh uh, 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 oh no elspeth elspeth and that felt so genuinely like both of us want good in different ways that I kind of mm-hmm. clocked them as like, cool, they're just, that's that's them. And there's mm-hmm. no more secrets beyond that. Fuck, I was wrong. <laughs> what was on the flask? It was like to my tr- trusted advisor, the professor or something like that. Okay. And it, so it was like, oh, he has a flask from the professor. And then the second piece of information was that oh, he's buds with Cedric. So if you put those two things together, that it, then it's like, oh, you know, they were 
they're the same person. Gotcha. Um, Hold on one second. Janice just smelled his hand and made a real a real face of, oh, I my moved, hand smells like ass. I moved the leather face mask because focus kept auto-focusing on it. <laughs> and then apparently that mask smells horrendous. Oh, yeah. no. Don't touch it again. Don't touch oh, it. Oh, ew, ew, don't oh. kiss it. Oh, don't use oh, your tongue. Oh, you put it up to his ew. face. It's real bad. <laughs> Gross. God, when you make a repulsed face not for the camera, you know it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So those, those details are there more for the, the audience than than for you guys. They, they, they do exist as, you know, pieces of a puzzle that if you were to figure out, great. Um, but you know, we don't necessarily have like a great detective type character. He tried to um, get me to be one. I, th- I think it's better that you're not very good, especially <laughs> because now on, on the, the Tim side of things, like it's, it's like part of Tim's character that like, he thinks that Marjorie is like Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> so, so like sometimes, in his head, sometimes she gets it, but most there of the are time no she greater thinks she heroes. Gets it. Wow. Oh. Oh, that's so special. No. I hope when I die, Tim uh, makes me sound cooler than I am. <laughs> yeah. So I I think that you know it's there if you guys figure it out, but it's it's more for the listener. Those are those are details for you know. For you, the listener, to go, oh, this is this, and connect those dots so that you do kind of have the, um, you know, it's intentional that you kind of figure it out ahead of time because, um, you know, like, uh, I think it's Hitchcock Truffaut in in their conversation in that book, Hitchcock talks about how suspense is knowing. Bomb under the table. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) So, oh, yes, you have uh, a bomb under the table at a restaurant. <laughs> like, yeah, I know exactly <laughs> that. And a beautiful buxom blonde yes. sitting at it. Oh my god. Mm. The suspense is wondering if she would go on a date with her dutiful director. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what actually was said, yes. Yeah. Gross. Uh, oh, yeah. And then uh, John also asked, um, what do you use to make online maps? Uh, do you have any other way to flesh out the world? I do, we don't use maps. That's that's what we use. We don't <laughs> use maps. Um, we don't use maps. We don't use board. Uh, very, very early. Like, I think the first session and only the first session, we tried to use like a play mat. Oh, yeah, that's know, right. Gr- we did. Yeah, grid system, and it just it slowed everything down too much to move pieces around and and set them up and everything, and it and it was just it was too cumbersome with the microphones and everything. So originally we abandoned that for practical reasons, but then I think it became a real um, benefit uh, to keeping everything theater of the mind because it allowed for flexibility, um, and uh, you know. I could move rooms around in a space because you guys don't have a physical representation of where they go. You can't go, Oh, that's not over there because the map says that it's so you here. could cheat. Yes. <laughs> cheat uh, extreme amounts of cheating. You know, that isn't uh that doesn't always work for everybody's game. You know, like, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of players need to be able to see where things are to understand uh, and have a, have a sense of, of space and things. Uh, and it is difficult to kind of keep track of the action with full theater of the mind. There's a, I mean, you know, you listen to the show, you've heard many times I have to kind of backtrack and, and explain this is where everybody is. Yeah. Um, I have a hard time with that. Yeah. And, and it is, you know, it would be great if we had, you know, more physical representations of where things were. It would be awesome if we had like full miniatures and stuff like that, but that's a, a time and a budget thing. And and producibility of the show thing, you know, from the beginning to answer your question, I just don't I don't do maps. I have I have very, very, very rough sketches for my own use. But that's basically just to have a sense of like just making sure that things make some kind of sense physically Did we in ever as talk- much as like there isn't an M.C. Escher, you know, space. But <laughs> did we ever talk on microphone about. Uh, when everybody was was exploring the castle, and there were the the wind tunnel room and the uh, 
tubes of <laughs> dragon's room and everybody wanted to open a, do- a door at the same time. And you I just don't think made we've talked that... explicitly about that. Russell made all that up. Yes. <laughs> like on the spot. And yes. we were like, oh my God, that's crazy. The things that we predicted were going to be behind those doors yeah. were. <laughs> <laughs> Little did we know Russell's back there like, yes, they're writing the story for me. <laughs> yeah, and that's another reason why, you know, I, I don't have maps because there are there are a few instances like that where you guys will just kind of bullshit something and then i'm just over there like well that's funny yeah you gave us a sound effect and from there yeah (laughs) we created a world (laughs) and and that possibility is great and and one of the things that i really love about this style of you know not having maps but you know it's what's what's right for your table and for your players you know there are definitely players that like without a a map or without a physical uh you know play space like just could not wrap their head around things which is totally fine i think it's worth trying both ways too because i as a player i i found out that i prefer playing this way with the right people um and i have also played with maps and what i see when i'm playing maps it totally changes the way that I play because I'm so fixated on like how many little squares I can move and how mm-hmm. many doors I can see on the little digital screen of where you can go um, and the proximity that I am to every everywhere. It it limits my options, which can be like a safety net and safe and sweet and nice for some people um, and me in some contexts. But then also the the playing with your friends and having a good time the way that we do on D&D and D&D. Um, I know that if I do something wild, someone will be like, ah, that's an impossibility. And then I'll just pivot. But it is more fun to to invent possibility to that end. And and kind of what you were talking about before, Beth, the next part of uh, uh, John's question is uh, I'm making a frog themed dungeon. And one of the (gasps) hallways is going to flood with frogs the closer (gasps) they move to the end. (gasps) Can I I be a character? Can I be a pelican? (laughs) In your campaign, I'm having open trouble. my mouth, go down the tube. Sorry, I'm done. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is this is good. Uh, I'm having trouble coming up with multiple ways the characters can beat this. Can you help me, please? Invent pe- I... po- pelicans in the room. Yes, <laughs> that is very very funny. If the characters somehow can trigger a bunch of like pelicans <laughs> that can come and scoop them up and save them from the frog. <laughs> Beth is very very tickled. Have frog rain be a thing. What do you mean, That's frog rain? That's going to make more oh, frogs. Yeah, frog it rains frogs. It happens that don't starve together. More frogs. During spring, it'll rain frogs. This sucks. You can kill do like, uh, I forget what states. I think it's like in the south where like, it's like cane toad. There's like cane toads that are like the super invasive species. And like people who live where these toads are are incentivized to Kill them like you are supposed to if you see them you kill them and then there's there's places where like because they're such an invasive species the like kind of limits on what you can do with them are are funky like there's you can like go to bars and there's toad racing and like <laughs> all kinds of stuff like that so i don't know make a weird toad economy that's a great idea <laughs> So the 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 problem that we're trying to solve is, hey, I've put a ton of frogs in this hallway. How do I give these people license to to get rid of the frogs? Yes, and my suggestion would be have a solution, have one planned. There is a hidden button that if they roll a perception check that beats this number, they will find and they'll see the button and they'll press it and that'll open a passage or whatever. Have a solution so that there is one. It'll flush the frogs. Gas right. the frogs. Gas the frogs. Whatever the <laughs> whatever the solution is. But like what Beth was talking about earlier, where you know they kind of in, they kind of created those rooms in the in the in the uh, underground um, cult temple, or it, no, it wasn't the temple. It was the secret lair. It was the mountain lair. Be open to a creative solution that your players come up with just being the answer and just 
go with it. And in the moment, if they're like, is this it? And if it's good and you like it, be like, yep. And then move on. Mm. And don't don't get stuck on the correct solution. Find the one that's fun for the situation and fun for the players and fun for the story. Because if if you have like the correct way of solving the problem and the players are beating their heads against the wall trying to find the thing, but they can't because of roles or or, or whatever, that's not going to be that's not going to be fun. That's yeah. going to slow things down. And you're also going to train your players to feel like every challenge they come up against, they have to find the correct thing. Right. You don't want to be their dad. You want to yeah. be their friend. Like what Mike was talking about last time about g- gifts, giving gifts to, you know, your your scene partners if you're, you know, in we were t- that was specifically talking about improvising, but in this instance, gift something to your players. If your players come up with something some fun solution to the frog tunnel, then that's the solution to the frog tunnel. You know, like that happened in season three in the, in the volcano. Um, when we, when, when, uh, everybody had to get through the nine puzzles to get to the volcano lair there, those were elaborate puzzles. Um, and several of them were solutions that I did not write. They were just fun in the moment solutions, um, that the players came up with. And I think we talked about that in that discussion as well. So maybe go back and check that out. But, um, yes, be, be flexible with your puzzle solutions because sometimes what the players come up with will make sense logically and be more fun than anything that you had, you know, previously planned out. So, you know, let, let, let your players, um, and, and also then the players feel great because they won and they figured it out. And then everybody goes into the next encounter energized you know like yes you did it yay and then everybody's feeling good going into whatever the next part of the dungeon is or the next you know the next frog when you when when you when then they have to race the invasive frog species in the next room (laughs) you know (laughs) then uh they'll be glad they put a thousand frogs in their bags of holding exactly (laughs) exactly so that's one way to do it is to not have a, a solution and let your players do it <laughs> okay so this is from megan medina uh this is a question that i thought about after thinking about didrodon and how he represents death apologies if this doesn't make complete sense question do the didrodon the team meets in the memory does the didrodon team the team meets in the memory cave and the didrodon the team ends up fighting represent two sides of how people view death or being over death more or less, yes. The idea, even before the like stages of grief thing came into it, was that like there wasn't going to be one version of this dragon because there's not one version of what this is. You know, that was something I was really struggling with um, with this season was like how to represent um, this concept in a way that hasn't been done a million times. That wasn't just the Grim Reaper. That wasn't just the you know Ghost of Christmas Future. Um, or like the Discworld death or Family Guy's death or any other, you know, version of, of, you know, what we've seen. So I always wanted there to be kind of this fluidity, um, and ambiguity to, um, what this dragon was going to be compared to like the strong, uh, characterizations that we've seen with the other ones. You know, Madeiras was very specific. Uh, Kerflipia was very specific. You know, and and I wanted Didrodon to be not that. I also had kind of set up in the lore and the way that the other characters and stuff were talking about him. Um, even back in season three, when you guys found the like books in the temple talking about some lore stuff, um, you know, he was talked about as like Didrodon the Dread and this like big, huge, imposing, you know, thing up in the mountains in the cold. And, and I wanted the encounter when you guys actually got there to be not that um, kind of to subvert those expectations, but also just to, to show that, you know, there is not one way of doing this. And that was, so that was intentional. Long story short. Um, I wanted every, I wanted, I wanted there to be a fluidity there. And I think, uh, I think we achieved that. Um, and I, and especially once the, the stages of grief thing came into place, I felt like that really kind of like brought it all together. Yeah, I agree. I, I, as Marjorie, I was having a hard time with the characterization because I wanted to believe that like all the dragons are like the dragons we have met before, which isn't true, 
But Marjorie wants to believe that. And the fact that Didri Don was like sometimes nice and sometimes mean was a uh, really hard for, I think, both her and me. It was hard for, I feel like, everybody because we didn't know what to believe. <laughs> yeah, we, how do you fight this them. thing that you can't pin down? Yeah. He kept escaping us. And I think that's really cool. Once it clicked, once I understood like why that was. Dellen Miller asks, um, how did it feel as a, as players in DM going into the season have, having already discussed the plot line in the previous D&D and D&D? That is an interesting question that I'm curious about the answer to from you guys because we did say explicitly going into this season, this is what we are doing. Um, which we haven't in the past. So you guys had a sense of like, cause you did have the encounter in season four with Durgi. So you kind of knew, okay, there were going to be dwarves. We were going to do this thing. It ended up being different, you know, which we talked about a little bit last time or the reasons why, I mean, if you can remember, it was like a year ago, but if you can remember what your thoughts were kind of having an idea of what was going to happen going into it, where did were you prepared differently? I guess is my question to you guys. Or were you kind of like, was there any part of you that was like, okay, did it did it feel less like starting a new season and more like continuing from where we left off, or was it still like starting fresh? This was a long time ago, so acknowledging that it was like a year ago, but I think it helped set expectations. Yeah. You, so. knew, you knew there were going to be dwarves and stuff. You knew that it was going to be snowy and deadly. I, I think it always feels like picking up where we left off. I don't, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I can't it, it is hard for me to parse the seasons, to be honest. I guess that's good in a way that it's, it, they all feel kind of, you know, con- there's a continuity. This one's yeah. the snowy one. So, you know, going into <laughs> that, I, I, after living in LA for 13 years, it's, we don't really have, we don't get snow. <laughs> so I don't know it was last season compared to this season. Um, but I know that, yeah, like I was excited for the wintry cold. Yeah. The, this environment, the, the James Bond sequence, I ended up really enjoying, like imagining the snow chase and mm-hmm. that ended up being, being fun. That was fun. <laughs> and it was not underground, which was nice. Yep. Yeah, try that, to keep things above ground. <laughs> it was a lot to lot to play with, like you know, with the uh, snowmobiles and all that stuff. That was a that was a good one. Uh, Jet Weaver asks, uh, "What was the biggest change you had to make to this season because of the team's improv?" Mm. Pants was not ready for pants. <laughs> <laughs> Bucket baby and pants, the whole we're gonna make mar- margarine and flack this this you know Vincent adult man of a of a of a monster that was not one I was expecting just just Beth's choice to try to stay hidden and then James committing to being this like creature and then I had a lot of fun playing um. Cedric, like <laughs> yeah. hating the creature. That was very and I, fun. You made me hate you so fucking much. <laughs> know, which was also really fun. <laughs> to piss off James was pretty fun too. It was it was a, a good time to play that kind of just like asshole. Do, but do you was, have an archetype of characters that you like to play? That you perf- not that you that you enjoy play. Like if you since you are the DM, you have to invent all of these side characters. Mm-hmm. And you just said that you really enjoyed being an asshole. Is it special when you get to play an asshole? It's easier. It's it's so much easier to just be to just like be contrarian to what you guys want. <laughs> yeah. It, it's <laughs> I, can, so, I can see that. Yeah. It it's a lot easier to be because like, especially like Cedric, because Cedric isn't Cedric's not Yanathan or Morgan or, or, you know, like one of like the big villains. So he could be kind of just a, just a (laughs) jackass and not, he doesn't need to have like the big impassioned dramatic speech. He can just be like a xenophobic shit heel, you know, (laughs) like, and, and not, I don't have to worry about like making him more interesting than that. So that. That makes it kind of simpler. But like the things that I fall back on, I guess, are like 
you know, because a lot of it is like I, I don't have a deep bench for character voices. So, you know, I'll I'll fall back to like the goon henchman <laughs> is mm-hmm. an easy one, you know, and uh, like I also think that like surfer bro is really easy to do. <laughs> and like, you know, a, a kind of just like go with the flow guy is um you know you you'll see a lot of like those kind of characters if you go back through through too of like the like you know supporting player who's just kind of like there to be helpful or whatever kind of <laughs> go have with the a flow, good time so. exactly so those are kind of the ones that i i fall back on um but yeah it's uh you know I, i'm gonna try to to have some clear clearer characters for season six in these different places that we're going to you know we set up you know a lot of new places and i want to move through them you know relatively quickly so we're going to have a little bit more structure to things and stuff um which i think i've said every year but uh i guess is technically true uh there has been more structure to each season than there was previously um this one a little bit weird because of how weird scheduling was this year but um just in general it has been truer that each season has been more structured than the last and and you know so we'll have we'll have some new characters and some new character types and stuff going forward um that i'm i'm excited about um as you guys explore some of some of the places that you got uh hints at at the end of season five and your little your little map room vision we'll see i don't even remember what that question was but i hope we answered it (laughs) here is a a uh, question from Nicholas uh, Dokulil. Dokulil? Oh, I Again, like this sorry one. Sorry if I'm saying your name's wrong. Um, love the show, and after two years, I've finally gotten a group of my own going. I always love, I, I say this a lot, but I always love when people say that um, they got into the show because, or they got into D&D because of the show. I think that's so awesome. Yeah, for, um, for nobody who, yeah, for somebody who's never, well, I don't know if they've ever listened or played before, but that's really cool. It's so cool. Um, After learning about more of the species that you've all encountered, uh, Owlin, uh, Kenku, Tabaxi, etc., would anyone choose one of the less human-like species for their next character? And will we see my favorite spirit? Will we see my favorite species, the Loxodon? Loxodons are elephant people. Whoa. Like in that Mario game? (laughs) (laughs) Mario Wonder? Wonder? I like the little hippopotamus people. I have a little figure of one on my desk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that I people like, at a convention because I thought it was cute. I like tabaxi. <laughs> cat people. Little cats. I could see you playing a cat. I feel like you would get into the characterization of that mm-hmm. in a fun way. I don't know it's, who I'd be. Yeah, I'd have to. I'm trying to rack my brain. It's a shock that I haven't played a Kenku. In a campaign yet. Mm-hmm. I'm a bird girl. Everybody mm. knows. Beth loves birds. And I've been a frog. I've been a human. I've been a halfling. I gotta be, I gotta be a bird. Next one. Yeah. Next campaign. Oh, you a frog? Weird little bird guy does seem very appropriate. I did a Twitch, a Twitch campaign. I played a frog wizard named Hamb. And and he and he was so brave and and everyone liked him i think that if we had started the show a little bit later than we did it probably there probably would have been a more a higher possibility for some of the non-humany ones but we started we started pretty quick after um 5e came out so there there a lot of the supplemental materials hadn't been released yet and we still like we even even like Swashbuckler for Marjorie was like still brand new test material. It wasn't like the official final version. Uh, I think that it probably would have been more likely if we if we had started a little bit later that some of those would have maybe found their way in because there would have been like official materials out with those stat blocks and stuff. Yeah, um, I, I really want to play a Humblewood campaign. What is Humblewood? Humblewood is a five e extension. That's got just like a little, it's just birds, stall birds. <laughs> that sounds cool. It's great. It's just critters. Yeah, the owl's like a burrow owl. It's a little soldier. They've got like a, a wizard or a necromancer corvum. So it's, it's a raven necromancer. 
There's like a fancy pigeon wizard. I'm just looking at the art for it, but it's just forest critters as your favorite kinds of D&D classes. Think Redwall, but D&D. Yeah. That's uh Yeah, this looks like Everdell James. Oh, cool. <clears throat> yeah, this is neat. Uh cool. Um but yeah, uh stuff like that was still pretty new when we started, so um that's that's the sh- the short version of uh why everybody is like one of the basics. Also though, I think at the time I kind of guided everybody to be like, "Hey, you know, like you guys aren't the most experienced or, or for Mike, you know, we're brand new. Mm-hmm. So like maybe take a look at some of the more standard stuff to mm-hmm. see if, you know, we can ease into it and not expecting to still be doing this with the same characters for six years. <laughs> um, will there be Loxodons? Uh, yeah. At some point. I mean, how can, how can I turn down the opportunity to, uh, put in a elephant man? <laughs> um, <laughs> Like a fancy one with like a pocket watch is what I is the image that's springing to mind, and he's very late mm. and put off by it. This is a, this is a DMing question, but I'm going to um, kind of turn it back on you guys. Brandon Grucock asks, uh, "How do you ensure that you aren't copying from other sources?" He's asking specifically about DMing and homebrewing and stuff like that. Um, but I'm curious for you guys as players and influences and stuff. Um, I know you, you know, everybody's pulling from a lot of different sources for inspiration and everything, but you, you know, you guys have crafted these characters that have become very unique and everything. Uh, and I know that you're pulling from influences for them. Um, but what do you guys think as far as, um, like, how do you, how do you, how do you use in being inspired by something and kind of put your own spin on it? That's a big complicated question it is a big complicated question (laughs) you know we don't have to necessarily you know solve no of course um but thinking about it it, everything is everything we do is inspired by something in a combination of a lot of things um of course and how this campaign feels in your head is gonna look like the stuff that you've seen before it's gonna look like what were the ones that you called out uh lord of the rings and that's well. the one yeah that's the one they i mean d and d in general is like it's just very lord, like yeah. the base yeah. game is lord of yeah. the rings so but there's a magic that happens when you actually make the thing it's going to start the first couple paragraphs of your campaign are going to feel derivative and then someone's going to say some bullshit and you're going to say yes to that and you're going to fold that into the dough and somebody else is going to add to it and you're going to fold that into the dough. And suddenly everybody's inspirations, everybody's um, collective, where they're coming from, adding to the, the soup pot makes it something unique. As long as you are allowing it to um, effectively like blend and influence what you're making instead of trying to fit it into the mold of what you've seen before. Because mm. um, I find that all the time when I'm like making art and drawing because there's artists and work that I'm, I love that I, I, like James Jean, for instance, is one of my favorite illustrators. And he recently did a Johnny Walker um, dragon illustration or a, a dragon illustration for Year of the Dragon that's on Johnny Walker whiskey. Um, and I love that piece. I've been wanting to do a dragon. And I was looking at that piece. I did a couple different sketches. And finally, I landed on a sketch of a dragon that uh, is facing forward the way that James Jean's dragon is facing forward. And from there, I kept drawing. And because I was adding to it and I was actually making it, it became something different than what was in my head. Because it can't help but be something different than what is in your head. And that's what's going to happen with your campaign. So don't feel ashamed for coming to something with influences. Be aware that you don't want to be copying these things and then let everything around you add color and flavor to what you're making. Yeah, that's beautifully stated. Yeah. That's about it. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I'm I just going some... to uh copy that and uh <laughs> change a few words. Uh-huh. <laughs> um I think for like in terms of items or abilities and stuff, um like for the uh the is it the cape of staying alive? 
Mm-hmm. Um, I whenever I, if I'm going to use that in a situation in the game, my brain goes to uh, there's an item in Dota Two called the Force Staff, and that pushes you in the direction that you're facing, which is exactly what the the properties of the the cape of staying alive is. But I'm doing a dance, so like I think of things that I've seen or games I've played, like Gust of Wind. In X-Men Legends for PlayStation 2, Storm has her wind ability and it it breaks open all the boxes and you can get all the XP and, and stuff. And it's like a really quick way to do stuff. And I like that's what I think about when I use Gust of Wind in in the campaign. So I like I do that with items and I think of it as a video game or, you know, referencing stuff we've yeah we've seen in media yeah 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 we we've we all you know bring our own touchstones to things especially for for this kind of um you know this kind of show that that exists in your imagination you know um you know what what you imagine the show to look like is going to be different than what everybody else does what i do what mike does what beth does you know um my my style uh, in the way that I envision the show is going to look different than, um, you know, Beth or Mike's or, or anybody's, um, because my touchstones are different. Um, and the things that I'm inspired by are different. Uh, some of them are the same and some of them are, are different. And, you know, that filter, my filter is going to be unique to, to me and the way that it comes out, like what Beth was saying, by the time it's done is going to be something else. Um, and I think that that's a really important aspect is, you know, and this Sin um, uh, Sanguis uh, also asked about uh, inspiration, storytelling and pushing past writer's block and stuff. And um, I think that it's just important to uh, keep going and, and keep, you know, keep trying if, if it's something that you're passionate about and you feel like you have a story to tell, it, it, whether it's, you know, a story that you want to create for commercial reasons or if it's something that you're doing as a as a homebrew game for your friends or, or, or whatever, um, or if you're creating anything, um, you know, it's you're going to you're going to get to that point where you you want to make it your own. That's just a, a natural part of the creative process. And when you get there and you keep pushing through it, that's when something, that's when stuff really, really gets special. And, and, you know, I, I, I love those moments when you make something and you, you step back at it and you look and you go like, Oh, this one, this one's good. You know, like that it's rare, but when it happens, um, you know, it's really special. Yeah, trust that your instincts are right. Trust yes. that your choices are are okay and good because you're gonna want to say, "Ah, this isn't. I've seen this done before, and I like what I've seen, and this doesn't look like what I've seen, and therefore it's not right." But it is um, mm-hmm. something that I was told by. I. It's too bad I can't remember the mentor who told me this, but it made a real impact. People, there are so many things that people want that haven't been created yet. Just yeah, make, yeah just make stuff yeah for sure i mean you know that's you're the first audience you know we've said we've said that a bunch uh you know in different versions of the, these type of episodes but like you're the first audience and if if it entertains you then it's probably going to entertain somebody else thank you to everybody who sent in um questions uh and um notes of uh of thanks and things um we really, really appreciate it. Uh, okay, I think we're getting close to um, we're getting close to an hour and a half, or a little over an hour here. So, I think we will we will wrap up this discussion for now. Um, but we will continue the show, obviously. Like I said, uh, next week is going to be a Tim story, um, TBD for the thirty first. Uh, and then we'll figure out uh, the February schedule from there. So uh, stay tuned for uh, for announcements on that. Um, and then uh, there are a couple other things that are coming. Uh, we have the new T-shirt design from Beth. Yes. 
uh, which is a Johnny Walker inspired design. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Didri Don Forge Fire Whiskey. It's so fun, fun little fancy dwarf lad uh, and a whiskey logo, which is uh, which is really really fun. Um, so patrons, uh, you will be getting those uh, very shortly in the next uh, couple weeks. Um, and then we'll have more t-shirt designs coming uh, on the heels of that one. Yeah. Um, any con appearances coming up, guys? That you next guys are one, um, for me, if there's anybody in Wisconsin, I'm going to be at Anime Wisconsin, or Anime Milwaukee, Amkey, uh, March 8th through the 10th. It's my first time in that part of the country. So if you're out there and you want to come say hi, I think it's just going to be me. Uh We'll see if Mike will come with me. But yeah, that's that's my next appearance. What weekend in March? The 8th through the 10th. So the second weekend. We are going to be at Horror Hound in Cincinnati, March 22nd, 4th. Yeah, we got a bunch of conventions this year. After Horror Hound, we have um, two back-to-back. We have Astronomicon in Livonia, Michigan, and... Spookala and Tampa, Florida. Those are in April. Cool. So yeah, so some some convention appearances for folks coming up in March uh, and April. So stay tuned. We'll plug those. You know, obviously when when they get closer as well, we'll remind you guys. Um, so more uh, info on that soon. Um, I think that's it. Yeah. Uh, next week, the twenty fourth, will be a Tim story. Uh, we'll see what's going on on the 31st and then uh, we will go from there. So uh, I think that's all. Thanks again, everybody who submitted questions. Thanks again, everybody who said thank you. All the Spotify raps and everything. So fun. And yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's it for me. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much, everyone. This is you. This has been the best. Yeah, it really has. Thanks, everybody. Uh, do what's fun. It's fun. It's fun. We'll see you later. D&D&D is a Moorpark Media podcast and a Spotify preferred partner. Written and edited by me, James Gressel. D&D&D is performed by James A. Janice, Chelsea Rebecca, Beth Bradloff, and Mike Sigan.